bro. All right. <laughs> Let's rock and roll. Let's do it. So I feel like literally we've done half this podcast up in the living room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so everyone probably wants to know, what are you doing right now, man? Yeah, uh, well, I'm enjoying uh, being back in South Carolina, uh, being in Clemson. Uh, we moved back, moved the family back in January and uh, just really getting settled there. Got the kids in the in school there at Clemson. And, uh, you know, again, this is really home for us. Uh, we're you know, I met my wife at Clemson, all her families, uh, up here in South Carolina, my mom and dad are here. So, you know, um, we just, when we decided where we're going to move after, after Tampa, we decided to come right back home up here to Clemson. And so I'm enjoying that. And, uh, you know, the only coaching I'm doing this fall is, uh, my son's four and under soccer, <laughs> uh, which, and I've had some tough jobs, but I think that may be the toughest coaching job of my career. And uh, as we were talking uh, a little bit earlier, uh, you know, they don't listen maybe quite as well as uh, some of my players did in the past. But, uh, no, it's it's good. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of enjoying this uh, time out. That's kind of how I, I look at this. You know, you think about a football game or whatever is going on, and you kind of kind of every once in a while call a timeout and, uh, you know, recollect your, your thoughts and get everything organized and, and go back out there. And so kind of for me and, and – um, you know, myself, I'm looking at this, this year, uh, you know, out of coaching is really a, a time for uh, me to kind of, uh, refocus, on uh, spending some time with the family and, and also, uh, you know, thinking about what I want to do, uh, next, uh, now that I'm back here in, in South Carolina. So how does that feel to be out of, out of coaching? We kind of had that conversation. Yeah. I've kind of cycled in and out of it, you know, my whole life, but it wasn't, it was my profession for like eight or nine years, but it's been yours for yeah. <laughs> a lot longer than that. So how does that feel? Yeah, it, it's strange uh, for sure, because I would say uh, I'm 42 years old and for 41 of my 42 years, uh, I've either been uh, the son of a coach or I've been a coach <laughs> right now. My dad's retired and and, and I'm out this year. So that's definitely, uh, strange and it's a little bit different. Um, but you know, also, you know, coaching and especially at the, the college level and all the requirements, it can become kind of that endless treadmill. Right. And, uh, after being on that for a good while, I think last year was my 20th year in coaching. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's been good to really just kind of take a step back and, um, you know, I'm, very fortunate. I've got young kids at the house with Savannah who turns eight, uh, next week and, and Hunter who just turned three. And, uh, so really being able to, to spend some quality time with them, uh, has been great. Uh, but yeah, there's, you know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say that I miss the off season and, and all the, 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 the hard stuff that goes into preparing it. But when you're, you know, sit down and, and watching games on Saturday, you know, that's probably the, the part you miss the most. And, you know, being around, you know, your players and, um, you know, just that whole team environment uh, is probably the, the things that you miss the most of it. But, you know, I've also uh, enjoyed having some flexibility and freedom to be able to, to do some other things I haven't been able to do. Yeah. the I was at a local high school game the other night, and I think it was Lauren. I think my wife asked me, she was like, so do you miss it? And I'm like, right now I miss it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I miss calling plays. Right. I miss, you know, like the being in the middle of the game. I was like, I didn't miss camp. 
Right. You know, when they were out there grinding during camp, I was like, no, I'm good. I'm out <laughs> in the woods, scouting my right. land, doing whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's interesting when you haven't done, when you do it all the time and all of a sudden you don't, there's parts of it you miss. There's parts of it you don't miss. Um, but uh, when I look at it, uh, I'm, this is, so everyone asked me like, how do you know Jeff Scott? How do you guys know each other? Right. Right. And I, yeah. t- <laughs> I always tell the story, but right. I, I want to hear you tell the story. Cause I'd like to see if you tell it different than I do. No. Well, cause we've known each other yeah. for a long time. Yeah. First of all, we knew each other uh, whenever you were uh, working with my dad uh, there at South Carolina. And I was a young pup. I was like 22 or something like that. Right. And yeah, yeah. It was my first, that well, I coached two years for Brian Kelly at Grand Valley, but then like I came down here and I was young. That was my first gig. Right. You so, know? so that that's where, where we met and spent a little time together. And, and you were how old? You were like, yeah, I, I was in high school. High school I mean, at I was, Hammond. I was, yeah. I was 15, 16 yep. years old. And, you know, but I, I went to all my dad's games except one. I missed one away game uh, my senior year of high school when they played at Kentucky. But, you know, back when my dad was coaching South Carolina during that time, the, you know, coaches all, wore headsets that had cords on them right that's right now, now they have the wireless version <laughs> you were the cord, uh, you yeah. were his cord guy but right I, I i held his cords uh so i was out there right in the middle of all the timeouts and in the middle of the action and and uh maybe tried to trip a few people every once in a while or something <laughs> uh so anyways i i enjoyed you know growing up uh there and, and and having that experience but that that's where you and i had met and then you know uh i know you moved on going to some different stops in, yeah. in, in your coaching career and uh i went to clemson and played ball there and then i came back after i graduated uh, in 2003 uh, i came back and got my first uh high school coaching job as an assistant coach at ridgeview high school and uh coached there uh 2003 and 2004 and then maybe in the middle of that 2004 uh years when ridgeview announced that they were opening up the brand new school at high school and um, Blythewood was going to be a $50 million high school. It had a $5 million football stadium. And, and I was only 23 years old uh, at Ridgeview as an assistant coach. So when I heard about Blythewood opening, I honestly thought, man, I hope whoever gets the Blythewood job would hire me as their OC. That'd be cool <laughs> to be able to go to the new school, right? And then uh, Dr. Sharon Budden was my principal at Ridgeview. That's right. And um, she came by my portable, because that's where they put the new teachers. I was out in portable P26 <laughs> in the Ridgeview parking lot. I remember uh, that, because when they had that school was growing so yeah. fast, then they were, they were building Blythewood to accommodate all that overgrowth, but there was portables everywhere. Oh, yeah. The, the best part about it was uh, when, after school, when it was time to go to practice, you had like 10 feet and you're on the practice field. <laughs> so yeah. You're, you're right. You're like, right. Uh, right yeah. There. It was right behind the uh, school. But, but yeah, Dr. Bud in my second middle of my second year, she came by my portable and pulled me out and she let me know that she was going to be the new principal at Blythewood high school. She was going to mm-hmm. move from Ridgeview to Blythewood. And, and she told me that she wanted me to interview for the he- head coaching job. And I can remember like, did you like crap yesterday. yourself? Yeah. Like, I mean, the, you're th- hoping and, you're going to get the coordinator and, uh, gig immediately. <laughs> what well, went through my mind, I'm glad I didn't say it out loud, but I'm sure I said it in my face is, are you crazy? <laughs> like I'm 23 years old. Like I, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm doing in the classroom. But you know, she, um, I think she was impressed watching me as a teacher and she had heard good things maybe with me as an assistant coach at Ridgeview, but really she was really strong in the academics and, you know, as a new math teacher, sometimes you get the lower level classes. And so I had 
some of the math tech ones, which were a lot of the ninth graders that maybe were struggling in algebra and they all were doing extremely well. So she thought, well, man, this, this new young coach, uh, is, you know, a good teacher, if he can do this in math and he's got a good background in football, he'd be a good head coach. What she didn't realize is I coached all those ninth graders. <laughs> and so if they didn't bring their book bags and their pencils, they were, and running, after work, they were running after practice, but I didn't tell her that. So, so uh, I ended up, uh, you know, getting the head job there. I mean, she really believed in me. And, you know, there's always, as you look at your career, there's always kind of that first person, maybe outside of your own family that really believes in you and gives you that chance. And for me, Dr. Budden was that person for me. Cause I mean, uh, and one other, and I'll, I'll get to what we're trying to talk about here, but one other thing I thought was really cool. So when she decided she wanted to hire me, she told me, okay, I'm going to the school board today, uh, to school board meeting tonight to make it official and let them know that, that you're my hire. And I'll give you a call here in an hour and a half and let you know we're good. So at that uh, point, she had already accepted the principal yeah. job at Blythewood. Yeah, okay. she'd already accepted gotcha. the principal job at Blythewood because she went there six six months before you know the rest of us. So she called me that night when she was supposed to tell me, congratulations, I got it all approved. And she said, we ran into a little bit of a hiccup. Uh, the school board uh, was not supportive of her uh, decision to hire me because I was only 23, maybe about to turn 24. Uh, but she said, you know, she said she'd been in this district uh, for over 25 years and this was going to be the third high school that she was opening up. And the principal, she said, I'm going to appeal in two weeks and, and make sure that we get to hire you. So she did. She <laughs> went back two weeks later to appeal uh, to hire me. So, so we, think about that, though. I mean, like you're talking about somebody who has a career in education, right, is leaving to open this huge school, this huge project. And she's putting her butt on the line for a 23-year-old kid. Yeah. Like, that's a gutsy freaking move. Yeah. Looking, you know? looking back on it now, having a little bit more age and, and maybe wisdom and experience, uh, I definitely appreciate it even more. You know, yeah. at the time, you're just kind of going and saying, oh, you're this, excited for this yourself. This is cool, right. Yeah. But later on, um, I mean, she, she took a lot of heat. I think there are other people internally within the district that kind of were a little bit older, more experienced, that people would have liked to get that job. But that didn't last very long. Yeah, so that, so uh, <laughs> she she took a chance, but uh, what I remember is running into you in the grocery store. I don't know. I, I, I do remember that I had. I'm pretty sure I knew I was going to be the coach at Blythewood. Yeah, you right? knew. You so knew. It, it was pretty soon though, because I hadn't quite got my staff together. So I ran into you in the grocery store. First time I've had seen you in I don't know how many years. I hadn't seen you since you since y'all left yeah. South Carolina because I had gone up to Murray state and I was up there for a while. And then when I had gotten out of coaching, I hadn't coached in four years. Right. You know, I was back just yeah. working. I was, you know, in a professional thing and yeah. So I hadn't coached at all, you know, and I hadn't seen you since, since y'all left South Carolina. Yeah. So we just happened to run, run into each other in the grocery store and uh, talking to you and kind of hearing kind of what you were doing. And I, I knew even before I visited with you, I knew, um, you know, just from talks I had with my dad and other people, two of my most important hires were going to be my defensive coordinator and my offensive line coach. You actually said that to me yeah. in food line. Like yeah. that's, you know how you have these moments in life that sometimes you just like have a picture in your head. Right. That's one of those ones when I remember that, like I yeah. remember that very vividly, like yeah. the, the picture in my head. Because I, I knew from just my you know, things I had learned playing at Clemson and Rich Rodriguez was the OC whenever I was at Clemson bringing the spread off. Yeah. So 
So really what I knew at that age, you know, I felt pretty good about the passing game, especially in offense, but I, I had very limited knowledge on the offensive line. So I knew, and my dad was a former offensive line coach and was coaching O-line, I believe at the time at Clemson. So I knew that I needed somebody with experience um, in that area. And so literally before I'd put my staff together, ran into you, we talked about it and you told me that, you know, with what you were doing professionally, you were, were going to be done, you know, in the afternoons and uh, came over. And I mean, to me, it was just incredible. And that's really how, I mean, a lot of pieces lined up with that coaching staff where it was like, man, the chance to get a, a college offensive line coach who just happens to be available. Uh, it doesn't matter what you're going to be able to pay him or not pay him. <laughs> uh, that's a big deal. And they just happen to be available every day at one o'clock. And Oh, by the way, they live in the same area where you're going to be coaching. I mean, th there were a lot of things that lined up for that. Uh, you know, that, that time we had there at Blythewood that, you know, I, I definitely believe the good Lord above, you know, was, uh, you know, lining some of that up for us. And so, so that was definitely, uh, that, that's where we met. And, uh, as they say, the rest was history uh, from there. And that, honestly, that Blythewood situation was the, the longer, the further I get away from it and, and look back at it, the more I marvel at, at it. You know, yeah. like that just doesn't happen. And, and the other thing that I remember about that, I and mean, there was a lot of things we could talk the entire podcast just about that, but there was probably at least 10 key moments in that, you know, first varsity season where kind of the game's on the line and are we going to make the play or are we not going to make the play? This big third down, yep. right? Or, you know, I, I remember a night at, at Chester, we're playing for the region championship <laughs> and, you know, the ball goes between Richard Mounts, our quarterback, on a big fourth down call, I believe. The ball goes between his legs and, you know, we were going to be running power or counter, some running play. And, you know, he's scrambling to pick the ball up and then just heaves the ball in the end zone and, <laughs> There's Marquand Jones catches the ball, touchdown, right? And after the game, our AD, Vince Lowry, comes up to me. We win the game. We win the win the region. And AD comes up and says, hey, I love that trick play you did there with Mounts <laughs> the ball between his legs. You're like, so, yeah, we worked uh, on that all week. Oh, <laughs> like, thank you. That, that, that's one of our, our ones we've been saving for just this moment. But, you know, and then anyway, there was several moments throughout that year where I felt like we got all the breaks. And I actually brought that story up last year at South Florida when it was the exact opposite and I felt like uh, we didn't get any breaks, mm -hmm. I said, maybe the, the football gods here are trying to even out the score because <laughs> little did y'all know at the beginning of my career, I had a year where everything, uh, you know, kind of fell right. And uh, my other funny part about Blythewood that I always have to tell this part of the story because I just think it's hilarious. So, you know, we win the state championship. And just incredible run all the way through. Win the state championship on a last-second field goal. In our first year and, of varsity yeah, football. Yeah, first year like, of varsity football. Un unheard of. And, and it was also the first year that a Columbia uh, high school had won a state championship in football in over 20 years. Right, because at this time, Dutch Fork was not. Right. You know, Tom Knott had yeah. gone there. Dutch Fork was average. So, you know? so the funniest part of the story for me is at the end of that night uh the superintendent of richland two at the time comes by and you know he's putting the medals over everybody's head and, <laughs> and here we are he reaches into his coat pocket and pulls out and he's got i remember he, this he's got, he's, he's, got, <laughs> he's got this uh envelope and he said coach scott on behalf of myself and everybody at richland two this is a token of our appreciation for a great job this year i said thank you I put it in my back pocket. You're like, like, how much? You, how yeah. much cash did you think was I, in well, it? At the in time? my mind, I thought it was a check for five hundred dollars. Right. Because what I remembered hearing was some of the high schools up around Rock Hill, where maybe it was a little bit more emphasized, 
their assistant coaches would get $500 every week that they were in the playoffs. <laughs> so in my mind, when he handed it to me, I said, man, that's awful nice because I wasn't expecting anything. It's Richland too, though, yeah, so it's yeah. not going to be anything so, more than that. Yeah, so I'm thinking <laughs> it's a check for $500. Yeah. So, you know, I get home. You know, it's like two in the morning, right? I still got Gatorade all over me. And I reach in my pocket and I pull that out and I open it up. And I looked and it was a $20 gift card to Chili's. <laughs> and I went and told my wife and I said, hey, baby, we've made it. This is the mountaintop. I'm going to be able to buy an appetizer and maybe two drinks. And that's it. Not our meal, but an appetizer. And I just thought that was hilarious, you know. That is and, the best story. Because, but you know what? That was what really, that it wasn't about any of the no, money or any uh -huh. of that stuff. It was just the. The, the experience with the guys and, you know, incredible time. And so I really feel, I see your, your uh, bow you've got up here. I, <laughs> I really feel like I was a kid going out hunting for the first time that shot this monster buck on their very right. first trip, you know, to, to have that in my first, literally first three or four years in coaching to have that kind of experience. You know, I felt like I was, kind of playing with house money the rest of my career, honestly. Uh, so that, that was incredible and a special time. And obviously uh, that's why you and I have a, a great relationship because of that experience we were able to share together. Yeah, that was neat. The two things, well, I remember so many things from that season, but the two things that I remember, and I still talk about the first one a lot was what was, it was either second, second round of the playoffs, second or third round of the playoffs. We had to play Greer, remember? Yep. And they were smoking yeah everybody were, right and i remember every every week we played we were, we were game plan people we were like hey if we play well we can win i remember watching the film i remember you had watched the film i remember coming over to your house yeah and you were like what do you think <laughs> and i go i said i i don't know if we can beat these guys yeah. like they're right. so freaking good they had a linebacker yeah. that was insane yeah. and what we ended up putting in the like just <laughs> insane crazy yeah. formation yeah right yeah. we called it yellow jacket yeah. it was like there's right. one guy yeah. on the left side of the line and then yeah. it was all linemen with a wing <laughs> yeah. and we put three plays in yeah. and we ended up like we they got so bamboozled mentally yeah. in the beginning of the game that they never caught up and we freaking smoked them like yeah. that's one of those games where yeah. when i was like coaching teams later sure that didn't think they could win i would right. tell that story but my favorite part, I didn't think about it till right now hearing you say that. So we had a P class, right, the fourth block. And so I remember on that Monday when I started putting that stuff in, Richard Mounts was kind of our star quarterback. He looks at me and goes, what are we doing? And I, and I kind of looked at him and I was like, trust me, we need these plays. <laughs> You'll see the video later. Just trust me. He's like, okay. Yeah, when you see that linebacker who freaking covers the field right. in like four steps. Yeah. Yeah, that one. And then the other one that was that I thought was funny was in the, the last game before the state championship, we were playing Clinton, and it was a score fest, right? It was yeah. like touch yeah. back and forth, back and forth. And literally, they were averaging four yards a crack on yeah. the belly. Yeah. And they get down, drive down the field. It's fourth and one. They're on the goal line. They score. They beat us. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm on the sideline. I'm like, they're running the belly. Yeah. Like, this is over. Yeah. They run a toss sweep. Yeah. Right. And we freaking yeah. stretch it to the sideline and yeah. win. And I'm like, who uh, you talk about out coaching yourself? <laughs> Holy freaking crap. Yeah. That was insane. Uh, they, yeah. They, they missed it literally the ball. You know, it was like, is he in? Is he not in? And uh, I saw hands going up. And so I thought we lost. But 
I thought it was the official, but it was like one of their players. <laughs> and so the funny part, add on to that story is, uh, so we, we beat them because we hold them out on that play. Right. Yeah. He didn't get in as a controversial deal. And so, uh, we, and we go on the next week to win the state championship. And then three weeks later, I take the, the, uh, receiver's job at Presbyterian in Clinton. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's not, you know, four weeks after that game, I'm in the hardware store in Clinton you know, buying something to get ready for an official visit there at Presbyterian. And, you know, I don't think anybody knows who I am or anything like that. So I check out and after I check out, I start walking towards the door. The guy that checked me out was an older guy and he, and he yells at me and says, Hey coach Scott. I said, yeah, I didn't even know he recognized me. He said, by the way, he was in. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, there you go. That's that's South Carolina high school. Football I was going to say high right school there. football in South Carolina. Yeah, they don't per- get around with it. Pretty cool. Yeah, that was an amazing experience. And then obviously everyone knows what the whole deal is with Clemson and everything else. Yeah. I mean, we could sit here and talk about where you coach and all that stuff yeah. forever, but honestly, like we just talked about it for two hours. Right. Yeah. I, I'm interested in talking to you a little bit about just college football in general. Sure. You know, and what's going on right now. What yeah. one of the things I was going to ask you was, you know, I, I coached, started coaching college football back in the nineties. Um, you've been doing it forever. What do you think about like, what's diff? Well, let's start here. How is recruiting different today than it was 20 years ago as a coach, you're a coach, you're going after kids. 2000 versus 2023 yeah well i would say you know i know we're going to get into the the nil and portal and all that stuff here in a minute but it it was before that it was really social media there's so many things so if you think about i mean i I go back to when my dad was coaching at florida state right Mm -hmm. that was 1983 to 1993 right they went on an incredible run and miami was incredible back then as well right miami won several national championships but back then in the 80s and early 90s there was no youtube there was no <laughs> social media right and so it was tv it was TV. It, it was a lot harder for out-of-state schools to come in and recruit florida right and get kids and their families to get on a plane come out and see them so it was a, a bigger advantage i guess in recruiting to uh, being able to keep guys that are local well now you fast forward and a kid in florida can his parents can watch YouTube videos of the staff and learn all about it. And whenever they talk to, you know, the coach at Southern Cal for the first time, they feel like they know everything about them. Yeah. And it just, it made the country feel a lot smaller and easier to get to. And so I think that had a big impact uh, on recruiting as far as being able to kind of go, you know, you, you can look at the time that I was at Clemson, right? There was a time for many years, right? Whenever I was at Clemson, my dad was coaching at Clemson, kind of that, you know, uh, late nineties and early two thousands where Clemson and South Carolina, both really mainly recruited in the state of South Carolina. If they signed 25 guys, 18 or 19 of them were from in state. Right. And then you'd have six that might've been from, you know, North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Georgia. Yeah. right. Well, again, with all the new technology and all that stuff, I mean, recruiting's become national, right. And you got, you think about Clemson going to get, you know, Christian Wilkins, you know, from way up in the, in the Northeast and, and, um, you know, Venables brought a little bit of that to Clemson, too, with some of his ties. So that, to me, that was the first kind of change. Do you feel yeah. like, though, when you were at Clemson that you were one of the like, – it seemed to me, because I remember we would talk, it right. seemed to me like you were an early adopter on social media in terms of leveraging it and recruiting because yeah. you were younger. And that I, I mean, I felt like you 
a lot of those kids that you brought in from yeah. out of state, that played a big part in you being able to get that. Well, I was fortunate because I was the youngest coach on the staff when Coach Sweeney took over in 2008. And I don't remember exactly when Twitter started, but I think it was sometime in that 2009, 2010 range. And I remember uh, I was at a at a football practice, actually, in South Georgia, uh, whenever I find out about Twitter. And I created my first kind of Twitter login. And, you know, most of the coaches on our staff were a little bit older, like my dad and, and other guys. Yeah. That, you know, so I had a chance at 28. And they're not doing Twitter. No, they're not, I'm not yeah, doing yeah, Twitter. I'm not doing, what's, what's a Twitter, <laughs> right? And so I had a chance. And this was even before Clemson or other schools had all these social media departments and all that. So I had a chance to kind of be an early adopter on that and kind of start putting out, you know, tweets and all that kind of for Clemson and in recruiting and helping our coaches kind of get their Twitter. So it, what it really did is it gave me an opportunity to kind of earn some respect in our own building, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, from a recruiting standpoint. And uh, when they knew what I was doing and kind of then, then uh, you know, it allowed me to kind of maybe be a little bit more of a leader uh, in that time. And I mean, I remember, you know, we kind of started the, the whole Clemson family deal from my Twitter, you know, and now, you know, that's the university's using it. Right. You know, and, and, and different sayings and stuff that we'd have. And then, you know, obviously, Coach Sweeney is just an incredible person that has a lot of, uh, you know, his, good content his... to, to be able to put. And, and Clemson ended up doing a lot more than what I could do from my Twitter at the beginning. But, yeah, I, I definitely think being a younger coach during that era when the social media and all that stuff came up, it kind of gave me an opportunity to kind of move to the front of the room a little bit and and uh, help out. And, and and I enjoyed that that part of it. So that to me was the the first big change in recruiting, maybe in the last twenty years. And then now, I mean, it, it's changing really each month, right? But the biggest thing is is uh, after after COVID and you know, kind of the the uh, NIL piece. You know that we knew as assistant coaches and college football coaches, whenever we first read about NIL. You know, it wasn't, oh, no, we don't want players to get money. I mean, there's there's plenty of money to go around. That was not a concern. What was a concern was – Who's got the money yeah, and, and who this, doesn't? This is going to be a legal way to buy players. Yeah. Right? That, that was what immediately went to our mind and, um, you know, was a little nerve-wracking. And, and I think, um, you know, if you think about the NFL, the NFL has very clear – rules and organization to what we're what they're doing and and contracts and free agency and and all these things and it feels like we're still in this transition period in in college athletics and college football where nobody really knows the boundaries and there's just a lot of room for people to do whatever they want to do and it's just the wild west i mean I, i it blows my mind when i look and see what some of these schools are doing. Cause I know, cause I've got kids that have been recruited sure. and signed in places. And I sit here and hear about, you know, what so-and-so is doing. Like, I mean, there was a kid that we had that signed somewhere at a big school. He's, he's been there for a couple of years, but his roommate never played. Right. right? But he was yeah. a five-star D lineman. Right. Never played it down in his first year. He's going to get red shirted. Yeah. Florida calls him up in the off season, offers him 800 grand and he transfers. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. And I'm just sitting here going, I can't, like, I couldn't believe that there was no structure around this. And to me, the combination of the NIL 
and the transfer rule. Right. Like that's yeah. the that's, that's the thing that kills well, it. You're you're dead on. That's that's exactly right. Both of those things were independent of each other, but the fact that they kind of came in around the same time, it it's it's it sets up for a because now now what it is is it's free agency without the player signing any contracts, right? Yeah, so, that's right. So that that let's say that you have a, a star freshman that you sign, right? And he goes out and has a, a great year, and then he comes in to see the head coach and says, hey, you know, my 7-on-7 coach or my high school coach told me that, you know, school X over here is going to pay me $500,000 if I transfer, and I don't want to leave, so can you give me – can you match that? And let's say that the coach goes out, makes a couple calls, and, and is able to match it. Well, guess what? That doesn't mean that that kid's locked down for a year. He could come back a week later and say, "Coach, you're never going to believe this, but School X just called. They're going to give me six hundred thousand. And like, there there is no end in sight uh, in this. So, uh, it's what, literally what I, just a repetitive yeah. cycle of. And the other thing too, and I mean, it's it's pretty. But you used to work your fanny off to get a yeah. kid recruited and signed. Yeah. But once they were in the building, yeah. they were yours. Yeah. And now not only do you have to go out and recruit a class every year, you got to recruit your entire team every year. Yeah. It, really what I've said is that there is a lot more money in college football today than there was 10 or 15 years ago. So I am all for uh, the players being able to, to uh, you know, be able to get their share, right, whatever that looks like right. and, and figure out. We obviously got to be careful – with all the other sports that, you know, have been uh, paid for by college football, right, in, in the athletic departments. But I, I'm all for that. But what I feel like is uh, the NCAA or the conferences, however you want to look at it, you know, just kind of uh, we're not proactive enough. I feel like if our leadership would have come up with some, you know, better ways to do this, I think we would be in a better spot. But when you don't and you just kind of, fall asleep at the wheel a little bit, and then you let the the courts and the legal side start de determining what you can do, then you kind of get into this mess where we are. So that part is, is uh, I think, frustrating for everybody because there's also, you know, the current environment, there's a lot of kids that are being negatively affected, right, through uh, the transfer portal, right? And now that it, there used to be a rule up until last year where the most – new players you could bring into your team uh, no matter what was 25 where they call it initial counters initial scholarship guys okay. well due to covid and and how that was your freshman uh, plus yeah, anybody you yeah, took in freshman as a transfer. versus anybody else it didn't matter if you had 30 guys leave you could only bring in 25 initial counters right, right? okay and so if you did have 30 guys leave which would happen with a big senior class you'd bring in 25 new guys and then you would use those five scholarships to reward walk-ons or whatever until you could kind of get back on a normal path. Well, about a year ago, uh, due to the transfer portal and for a lot of kids leaving, so so when they still had the 25 cap and you lost 25 seniors and then you lost 12 to the portal, well, now you're out, whatever that is, 37, 37. Yeah. scholarship guys. You can only bring in 25. Now, now your you're numbers are playing down with and, 60, yeah. you know, all these walk-ons. So what they decided to do is uh, – remove the cap well now what that's created is you know what's going on at some of the schools we can are, bring in as many right. dudes as we want so, because we got plenty of money right so, so that's the part everybody hears about but what they don't hear about is when new coaches take over a job and they run out 50 guys 
right? And those 50 guys, they had chances to go somewhere else. And now they're coming to your place and they're two years into school. And now their scholarship's taken away. They have to transfer. They have to find somewhere else to go. Well, number one, if you got cut from one team, you're probably not going to be on the top of somebody else's list because there's more people available because of the portal. But also when they do transfer, they're going to lose probably 15 to 20% of their credits towards graduation. Right. And so there are a lot of guys that maybe were forced to go in the portal or even chose to go in the portal thinking that there's this, you know, greener pasture out there. And then after a year of being in the portal, not getting picked up, you know, they're going to get a job and now they're they're They don't have a scholarship. They don't uh, finish their education. There's a lot of those stories, but those stories are kind of untold because the, the highlights are these guys that go and, and do well. So, well, know. the other thing too, I mean, you know, there used to be, it was an unwritten rule that when you gave a kid a scholarship, yeah. that scholarship was yeah. good the entire, could you have cut them right. and taken it away? Yes. Right. But no one did it. Right. Because the fear was if there's a, if, if word gets out that we take kids scholarships away, right. We're not going to be able to sign kids. Yeah. And now that's completely gone too right? right so this idea of i mean to me that th- there was a double-edged sword there because some kids if you missed on a kid right you know you were stuck with that scholarship yeah. for four years right. but at the same time that kid knew when they signed with this school that right. that school was making a commitment to them right and now it's like you said it's i mean i feel like i'm literally blown away by the lack of foresight right that was yeah. put into this because i mean i'm an outsider looking in. And when I heard about this, I was, I literally all this stuff that's happening. And I was like, how are they going to keep this from happening? How they, and they just had no plan to keep it from happening. Well, and this goes to a bigger piece of it. What my, I've heard, this was definitely not my idea. I've heard uh, maybe Kurt Herb street talk about this a little bit. What I'm in favor of is uh, finding a way to have a commissioner for, you know, division one college football. Because the reason of what you just described with not having great foresight or not making good decisions is there's no uh, one person that's really making these decisions. It's just a lot of committees. And the people that are on these committees may be from a Division three school that doesn't even have a football team. Right. And that president is the one making decisions on what you just talked about with the portal or this, that, and the other. Something that they have no concept and, of whatsoever. And, and it's very hard for the leaders, if you will. Right? We could name maybe the kind of top five most respected college coaches, uh, but they really can't do anything. They can, they can say something at a press conference, but they can't. But I, I feel like, if there was, you know, once this thing really gets narrowed down like it is, where it's the top 40, 50, you know, top schools that are all kind of getting ready for this playoff uh, system or whatever it is, if they could find a way to get a commissioner that he could still have boards and people that, you know, suggest things, but we could get things done. Cause that's the problem is these things, I mean, they've been talking about the portal and all that for 10 years. It's bureaucracy. It's, yeah. And, and so, and so what happens is coaches, who have good ideas and suggestions, they decide, you know what, I can't change this anyways. Let me just go be about my business. And that's why it had kind of gotten to where it is. And, but I I do want to say this one final point on this. I, I think NIL, I think players having a, a way to get, you know, some of the money for all the big money that's coming in and players having access to be able to, to leave, to go to one school to the next. If, if, you know, after a couple of years, it hasn't worked out. I'm fine for that but there's some really negative consequences on the other end of it 
that uh, are not good, you know, for the game. And quite honestly, some of it's not good for the student athletes. Like if somebody would ask my opinion, which obviously, like I said, there's no one group to ask anybody's opinion. Uh, my suggestion on the, the transfer piece was after you have stayed at that school for two calendar years, right? You're, you've, you've gone through four semesters at that school right? and it still hasn't worked out and you want to leave, then fine. Uh, the reason I think that would have been a great rule is you know this, right? How many freshmen show up thinking they're going to be the guy, right? I'm going to play early, all the stuff the coaches Every, told me. They're and, the best kid on their uh, team. The best Every kid one on the of team. them is. I'm going to play early and all this. They get there, they get in the back of the line, and they realize they're not going to play as a freshman. Right. Well, back, quote, unquote, in the old days, which is about five <laughs> years ago, right, you had no option. You would call you'd call your mom or dad. You'd call your high school coach. You'd cry. You'd cry, and I'm homesick, and I miss my girlfriend back home, whatever. I want to come home. And they'd say, no, suck it up. You, you went there. You, you keep putting in the work. Your day's coming. And, you know, all of a sudden after that first year, they get in their sophomore year. They're a little bit more confident what they're doing. Maybe they're getting a little bit of playing time and figuring it out. By their junior year, they're a starter. In their senior year, they're standing up there at their sports banquet, and they're saying, man, I'm so, I appreciate my parents, my high school coach, for not letting me quit as a freshman when I wanted to. It's made me who I am today. There are tens of thousands of stories just like that. Well, now what happens when it doesn't, ha it doesn't happen in their freshman year you know what they say? I should have gone to this school. Right. I'm going to get in the portal because these guys don't believe in me. But then they get in the portal, they leave, and they find out that their problem's still at the new school. And then after they do that, they want to leave again, and it's over, and they never had a kind of got to, to push through that tough point to get there. So that would have been a very – I think it would have slowed it down a little bit. It would have been a great deal. And you as a coach would know, hey, I get two years – with this young man to show him that he belongs here or whatever he can play yeah. here, this, that, and the other. But I mean, I, I've got parents that, that call me now that I'm out of coaching. I mean, after two games, they're wondering if their kids should leave somewhere I know, you know as, as a true freshman. I'm like, no, it, you got to get through this hard to get to the other side. And so, you know, those are some of the, the challenges, but I mean, I think the point that you just made is so big. Cause I, I was actually going to say the same thing. I know part of it's philosophical in nature, and I know that that doesn't really get included in most of these conversations because it's such a business now. But to me, one of the beautiful things of this sport is what it teaches yeah. people. Sure. Right. And yeah. a lot of the stuff that I've achieved in my life that has nothing to do with football yeah. has to do with what I, with what I learned, right. having to grind through stuff that was painful, yeah. uncomfortable, wait in line, and even recognize that I'm not good enough. Right. Right. Sure. Yeah. And get over all that stuff yeah. instead of saying somebody's against me. Somebody doesn't recognize how good I am. And we're completely eliminating that yeah. from the sport. And I, I like, I love the idea of the, of the, okay, you can transfer when you graduate. Yeah. You right. Yeah. And I would have gone a little bit for, I would have said three years, right. But I think yeah. even two, like, right. like you said, you, they at least got to get through their freshman year and have another year yeah. so they can start to see some light at the end of the tunnel and recognize there is an opportunity for me here. If you really want to jump ahead to what I what I believe is coming, uh oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, let talk. It, it, I want. I was going to ask it, you that it, next, so it, let's talk it, about so it. I, I feel very <laughs> strongly uh, where we're headed. I mean, NIL has really just kind of got the got the uh, ball rolling, if you will. 
I personally believe that we are 24 to 36 months, and it could be sooner, away from uh, college players and some of the bigger conferences getting together and deciding, hey, you know, our conference is getting $1 billion a year, right? The Big Ten is getting ready to sign a seven-year, $7 billion deal. And so uh, we're not very far from the players figuring out, you know, we need some of that money, shared revenue, right? And also – What's surprising, not not really surprising. Are but you what about I, to say union? Well, <laughs> uh, I know. Are we going to be doing collective bargaining agreements yeah, in college? Ultimately, what I believe is coming very soon is the players are going to stand up for themselves and say, we deserve some of that money, right? And the coaches' salaries are getting ridiculous, all these things. And But here's, here's something that I didn't think was going to come, but I see it happening. There are coaches in the Big Ten, and I've been reading some of their comments in, in different – uh, things and they're talking about you know they're they're talking about shared revenue for their players and the reason they're bringing that up is they're tired of having to make all these calls to these big boosters big donors yeah saying hey can you give me a million dollars i need you to give me two million dollars well the truth is these kids you're bringing in you don't really you're 50 50 whether they're going to pan out that's right So if you're the head coach at this major university and you call your biggest donor and i say i need a million dollars for this quarterback and then he comes in and he's not good enough. Well, you that's a that's damaged that relationship. I was gonna say, guess what? That guy's not giving you money right. anymore. And not only is he not giving you money, he's not giving it to the school or the athletic department anymore. That's right. So I think what the Big Ten coaches uh, have figured because I've seen about four or five of them make these comments where they've started talking about we feel like the time's coming. Right. Uh Harbaugh talked about it actually not too long ago. And uh, he's talking about the time's coming for uh shared revenue. And the reason that they're for it as well is because that will that will slow down. They will not have to be on the hook for calling donors about NIL money anymore. Because right now what they're saying is, hey, we're going to have this extra $25 million over here starting next year that's sitting there. Like, I don't need to be making all these calls and raising all this NIL money if we can just use that money that we didn't even have, uh, you know, we didn't have anything attached to those dollars. That's just going to be new money coming in. So I think the coaches are going to be at the the bigger conferences that are having, you know, which is obviously right now the the Big Ten and SEC with the big contracts. The coaches are not going to be hard to convince. I think the ADs know that it's coming. So here's what I think is going to come with that, right? I mean, quite honestly, that would provide a lot more structure because then at least you could sit there and say, okay, here's an allocated pool. Yes. Let's put apples to apples and at least put people on a level playing field. And here's what I think is going to come with. And, again, this is not me hearing it anywhere. This is just my gut feeling. I think when that time comes, we're going to see contracts, right? So you're going to have a player. Contracts with, at, with college con- athletes? Co- contracts with college okay. athletes. Because right now, that's the difficult thing about NIL. Right? A coach can go raise a bunch of money for a kid you know, to get NIL. I guess legally they're not supposed to, but that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. But you could go do that, and then one year in, the kid leaves and goes somewhere else. But he got paid. Right, but he got yeah. paid, right? And so – what I think is going to happen, and again, may, may not. This is just my personal opinion. I, I think that uh, when the shared revenue comes, they're going to say, okay, we're going to do this, but we're also going to put you under contract, right? And the coach, I think the coach and the kid are going to be able to decide, do I want to sign a one-year deal? We just want to do this one year and see how it is? Or you know what? Hey, we'll sign you to a three-year deal, you know? And the kid has to decide if I want to sign to a three-year deal. And so, because right now uh, – you think about the NFL, there's no other market where you can just get as much money as you want, but not 
be tied down to any yeah, contract. Yeah, no commitment on your like, end. There, it's a one-sided there's deal. There's nowhere else in the country right. where that goes on. So there's going to have to be a little – so I think that's going to kind of help stabilize it a little bit. Now, you're going to get into these issues when you start talking about pair, uh, shared revenue with the players. The, the university presidents are not going to like that every player on the team is getting paid two hundred thousand dollars, and their average faculty, uh, you know, salary is one hundred ten thousand. Right. So what I think is going to happen is, and, and it's really just going to be how they or, or organize it. But I, I think the athletic departments may become an outside business related to the university, but not underneath the university directly, so that they can kind of work that part out. That hey, this business that goes on associated with my university is what is paying these kids salary. It's not the same dollars as the university, because I think that's where there's going to be some issues. And then the other thing that everybody's worried about, and I'm worried about as well is, you know, yes, let's say that that the teams that are in maybe the top two conferences, they could afford to do that with their new deals, but there's other teams that are in, you know, power four now conferences that if they had to, to spend 20 to $25 million a year on their players, they would not be able to pay for their Olympic sports, right? And yeah. that, that's, that's a danger to this model. That's is, right. You know, yes, those top 30 schools that are in those, they could afford to do it, but everybody sure. else, you're not going to be able to afford. So now are we, are we going to cost opportunities, right? And I got a daughter, Savannah, who's eight years old. I, I hope that college athletics is – is uh, available to her one day if, he, if she chooses to do that. But that that is a danger. And then the other danger is for, you know, group of five schools, right, that are not in that – that are not getting that kind of money. Um, now, does that – does that – does some of those schools – and this could be over five or ten years – do they just decide that, hey, this has gotten so expensive, we can't afford to compete in this area, right, and this is so much money – we're just going to get to get away from football, right? This we don't want to join that deal because it's costing us so yeah, much money. It's an arms race. We it's just an, can't we, compete. We can't put a product on the field, you know, big enough that our our donors are happy with. So we're just going to kind of. So unfortunately, that I think that's going to be some of the negative sides of it. But we're we're literally months away just from players saying, "Hey." And we almost saw it during COVID, right? I was going to say, Remember so that? how? So you said that's like twenty four to thirty six yeah. months in your mind, yeah. right? So how does that actually happen? Like, what does that I, look like? I, I how do those people like, band think, together and start doing that? How I is think, it executed? I think smartly it would be done in January, February, where it would give the conferences and schools, you know, a, a seven or eight month horizon. Do you think it's going to be led by the comp by the schools themselves, or do you when you or do you think? I, I, I'm thinking it's going to be the players from one of the top two conferences. It's just my gut feeling get together, talk, and they're probably going to have some people helping them, right, on the mm-hmm. lawyers or whatever, and they're going to get together, and the top players from those conferences are going to have a press conference and say, all the the players at, in this conference, we've all talked, and they're going to show these numbers, right, and you're probably going to have a coach at some conferences and getting paid $50 million not to coach anymore, right? It just looks really ugly. You know, <laughs> you're going to have that kind of stuff that yeah. they're going to go over, which is hard to defend, and they're going to say, hey, we, we, we don't want to – you know, create some hard strike scenario, but we have talked and we do believe that we deserve part of that pie. And we're letting you know, now we're giving you eight months in advance to know and figure it out to figure it out. We'd like to sit down at the table and see what that looks like and be open-ended about it. And then there'll be a little caveat there that if you don't choose to work with us on this, then 
we may choose not to play next year. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, uh, you know, I think there was a movie. I didn't watch it. There's a movie called National Champions or something that came out a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago. And the whole premise of the movie was that the players were going to sit out the uh, playoff. But no, no players. When you get to the playoff, no. you, those seniors aren't going to sit out. And you know, th- this is going to happen so, in the off. Season, it's going to happen in the off season. Right. But, but but what I'm telling you is, I, I feel that the schools uh, and conferences, especially in the two biggest conferences with all the money, that they they won't fight it. They know it's coming. Now, you can already see the, the quotes and all that stuff. So I'm, what I'm hoping that that brings is an opportunity for some type of balance, right? In the NFL, you have your salary caps and Right now, it's, you know, if Elon Musk chose one school that he wanted to see if he could, you know, create a power and, you know, give a billion dollars to, you could give that to any school. They probably could build a really good football team, you know, and you're just crazy. I mean, you look at the, the Saudi money coming into the, the PGA Tour. You know, so we're leaving ourselves open right now to some crazy scenarios of some booster wins, you know, $500 million and, and wants to see if they can spend a hundred million dollars one year and you know buy the top twenty-five players or something. That's just all craziness that shouldn't be in a game uh, like college football and college athletics. So I think that's ultimately the next shoe to drop, in my opinion. It, but it's going to give some opportunity to bring some, create some structure because right now we, we're we're in a little bit of a spiral and we can't survive, in my opinion, if it stays in this current model for three to five more years. Yeah, I actually, I, that, I like that concept much better than what we're dealing with right now. Right. Um, <clears throat> because I think if you did something like that, you could actually create some standards across conferences. Yep. Right. I mean, almost like we had this situation in a different deal, but it was, you know, I don't know how long ago all these big TV contracts started going. But remember, there was a period of time where the schools were doing TV contracts, not right. the conferences. Yeah. And so the better schools got a lot right. of money from the TV Yep. contracts but the schools that weren't winning there's a ton of inequity right well when they changed that and they started doing conference deals and it was like in the beginning it's a lot more money now but it was beginning it's like okay you know each school is going to get two million from this tv deal, right right and then it became 10 and then it became whatever but now those schools that weren't winning started to have capital infused of the program they could start improving their facilities right. they could start to make things better so now it gave them a chance to compete Right. Right. At a level they couldn't compete at before. This almost feels like the same thing. So here would be just a small example, because there'd be people saying, well, hey, we're in we're not in one of those big two conferences. Does that mean that we're going to starve or we're going to be at a disadvantage? Well, what I think how it would go or how it should go is let's say that, um, you know, whoever meets on this decides, hey, we're going to allocate, you know, 15 million dollars a year. Uh, That's going to be the standard that you can give up to $15 million a year to your players, which would come out, you know, a little bit under uh, $200,000 per player. Mm -hmm. I I don't have that math in front of me. So if you're at, you know, one of the two conferences, well, you can do that 15 million easy, right? Right. Well, if you're in a conference that maybe is, is not getting paid the same, well, you can use some of your donor money can go straight to the school to give you that extra 5 million, right. To get you to the 15 million cap. Right. But at least the donors are giving money to the school to help subsidize the TV money that they don't get. As opposed to you going, having to go to each donor and raise money for a kid. And right now what the problem is for the donors is when they're giving money to the collective, they don't get credit towards the school and their seats. So they're having to give all their money to the school to keep up with their skybox and all this stuff. 
and then, and, and give money, give money here over to the collective. If, if once it gets worked out, in my opinion, whatever that kind of cap, and I'm sure that cap will grow over time, right? Just like the NFL, you, the, the schools that are in the maybe the other two conferences, they'll still be able to reach the same number. They just might not get all their money from TV like the bigger conferences will. But but that'll be a much better model than where it is now. But th- that's coming. People can you know put their head in the sand. <laughs> but but that's also going to be the first time that we get some stability. And will NIL continue to happen? Yes, but it'll be on a lot smaller level. Uh, right now, this is you know kind of the top level. But it, it'll it'll be you know done at a less extreme uh, than where it is now. So do you think there's any potential chance that the NCA is going to restructure the transfer rule? Because like we said, that's kind of the second piece of that puzzle, right? And so I, if you I, get NIL under control, yeah. what about the transfer rule? Uh, I, I think we're close from the – and, again, this is just my opinion. This is not from any knowledge whatsoever. But if you look at North Carolina right now, I mean, North Carolina's board of trustees and president and AD and, and head – like they just had a meeting yesterday that was in the media where they're talking about potentially, you know, getting lawyers involved over the, the transfer situation of their top receiver. Right. And so all that, to are say, you serious? Yeah. So all, all that to say, I think that the top division one football schools will be, just my guess and my gut feeling will be leaving the NCAA and the NCAA will still and be in charge of all the other sports or whatever, but football and basketball may leave them. And that's where you're going to get to this commissioner. And we've been hearing that know. forever, right? right? But it's finally but, getting but close now to happening. You're, you're seeing schools that have always supported the NCAA that now are talking about taking legal action against the NCAA and NCAA's public opinion. I mean, polls have dropped. I mean, nobody really respects what they're there to do. And they're in a tough spot too. I mean, these are very difficult deals. Like we said, the structure's not set up for one person to be able to go make a bunch of decisions. But I, when you ask me, is the NCAA going to do this? My answer is it's not going to matter because the, the model I think is coming is whatever those top 40 or 50 schools break off in football and it's all going to be about the college football playoff and you're going to have the commissioner, the head of the college football playoff, and that's where all football is going to get their rules and, and all those things. So I, I see that transition uh, a lot more likely than the NCA making some, you know, changes that everybody's happy with. <laughs> Good luck, right? <laughs> I was going to say that, that's. I've thought that for a long time about the NCA. It just seems like they kind of create their own mess most of the time. You know, it, it's it, crazy. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> so um, I know you got to go dove hunt, uh, which I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm holding you to this. Okay, you're coming back and bow All hunting right. with me. We're gonna go. Let's do we're it. gonna go bow hunt some deer. All right. Last thing before I let you yeah. out of here. Um, I know you're not coaching this year, right? What's the future for you? What's the future for Jeff Scott is in the coaching profession or are you just kind of evaluating as you go? Yeah, that's good. I think about that, uh, often kind of what that looks like. And I really don't know, uh, one way or the other right now. Um, you know, if I said, do I think I'm going to coach again? Probably so at some point. It's let's, hard let's to that, get it out of your blood. Yeah. Man. I mean, it, it, especially it, when you've done I mean, it your whole life. More than likely, that's kind of why I use that analogy, whether this is halftime or a timeout, however I want to use it, game analogy. 
more than likely, this is kind of a, a time for me to kind of catch my breath and kind of recalibrate and refocus and get recharged a little bit. Right. Right. I mean, those last few years at Clemson, I mean, we were playing 15 <clears throat> games almost every year. And then you go to, to South Florida and, and, and trying to do a rebuild. I mean, there's a lot of energy spent on that. So, uh, but we'll see. I mean, honestly, you know, there's a lot of coaches in college football right now at this level that, I mean, they're having questions themselves whether they want to continue doing this because it's in, like what we talked about, it's an unsustainable, mo- unsustainable model. I think uh, University of Florida had three really good assistant coaches leave last year to go to the NFL, you know, because they know the NFL, it, there's a, they're everything. It's structured, structured they know what right? they have. And so I, I'm watching that, honestly. Uh, I'm watching that a little bit. I just think for myself, uh, a lot of the top receivers that I was fortunate to recruit at Clemson, and you take a guy like T. Higgins. I mean, I, along with other coaches, but I, I spent three and a half years recruiting T. Higgins. And if this was going on today, and I spent three and a half years recruiting him, and then all of a sudden, two days before signing day, Ole Miss or Tennessee offered him a million dollars, and I, I couldn't get that money together. I don't know if I would be real motivated the next T. Higgins that I see the next year that's a ninth grader. I don't know if I'm real motivated to go put in three and a half years worth of work because that could happen. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. I had, I had somebody the other day ask me like, do you miss like college coaching? It's been a long time since you've been in it, but do you miss it? Do I miss it? I miss what it used to be. Right. Right. But my answer also was, I don't know that I would like it right now because exactly what you just said, it's an arms race. You're buying kids. The, so much of the relationship part has been taken out of the recruiting process. Yeah. And then not only that, once you sign them, you don't have them, right. you know, yeah. and like, like you said, it's, it's hard to keep a room. I also think back to some of those receiver rooms that I had, you know, where we had six guys that were all going to be NFL guys. I don't know if you can do that anymore. Right. In the transfer portal world. If nobody can, wants to share the ball. Right. Right. I mean, I, I want to go somewhere else with this guy. So <laughs> now, I do have confidence, like I said, that there's there's going to be some changes. People are going to figure – there's too many smart people and too much uh, financial support, if you will, involved in the sport that yeah. people are going to figure it out. Um, but right now, it, I, to me, it's a good time for me to kind of step aside <laughs> and, and not be in the middle of that and uh, figure out, you know. But, hey, you, know, you never know. Like we talked about earlier, my son Hunter's three years old. If he chooses to play football and – you know, I could see myself wanting to, to maybe uh, get back into high school coaching when he's. He you might get through. me out of retirement yeah. if you go. If you go be uh, a head high school coach again, maybe I'll come. That, uh, maybe I'll end full circle as your line coach again. Uh, the only way we do that <laughs> is if uh, I, I make sure maybe due to inflation, uh, I, we, we would get a fifty dollars gift card to Chili's instead of twenty dollars <laughs> when that time comes. I think fifty dollars now is worth you know whatever twenty dollars then. But no, yeah, you never know. But I'm, I'm a. Uh, I, we're, we're glad to be back in South Carolina and uh, definitely uh, I'm looking forward to be able to do some stuff like go, go bow hunting with you. Thanks yeah, I, man. I haven't been able to do pretty much my whole life. Uh, well, let's next time we, we had so much we didn't talk about, but I'm going to let you get out in the field. And next time you come up here, we'll go spend some time out in the field and then we'll shoot another one of these. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for being here, let's brother. It. It's yes, great sir. seeing you, man. All right.